We're just about two minutes ahead of 5 o'clock. You're listening to KZMU in Moab, Utah. It's time for This Week in Moab. And this time of year is one of those times of years that uh, can really bring up all the feelings. And often those that are difficult. They're not holly jolly. Let's just put it that way. In fact, I'm not sure of the numbers on this, and maybe we can get our guest to talk about it a bit, but oftentimes feelings of loss emerge and grief emerges during the holidays. And I thought it would be a great uh, moment to both speak about how much we love this community and ways that we can come to it when loss is before us. Thus, talking about hospice and grief at the holidays today on This Week in Moab. I'm your host, Christy, and I'm here today with Terry Galen, who has long been a member of this community and meeting, uh, helping meet its mental and, I guess I'll go ahead and say spiritual health needs when we're talking about hospice. It kind of touches on an awful lot of those areas. Terry, thank you for coming today. Clinical social worker, Grant County Hospice, and also working in social work, um, mental health in Moab for more than 35 years now. Thanks again for coming up. Thanks for inviting me. I'm really pleased to be here, Christy. Yeah, you know, uh, people may not know that I, in the past uh, handful of months, have stepped into a role with Grant County Hospice and had a world has opened up to me personally about what happens to not just individuals, but their circles of support when a person is facing this final transition. And so before we get to that, because it is so big, one of the biggest, why don't you speak for a minute about what drew you to hospice and what Grand County Hospice does? What drew me to hospice was really almost a calling. I read an ad in the paper, I would say mm, about nine years ago maybe, that was looking for a PRN hospice social worker, PRN meaning as needed. And it was with community nursing, home health and hospice. At the time, I really didn't need a job. I had a full-time job, and I worked on call, but I read this ad, and something spoke to me. So I called Community Nursing, and I said, how PRN is PRN? And they said, very PRN, because the numbers of people at that time, and sometimes now, who sign up for hospice are pretty low, So I worked for CNS for, I believe, seven seven years. And um, during that time, I changed positions, started working full-time at the hospital, in part working for Grand County Hospice. And so I was actually working for both agencies at the same time. Fun. Um, That was great. Marilyn, who is a... um, a chaplain and I used to both work for both agencies and we called each other double spies <laughs> which was kind of fun but that's how I I was brought into it it just uh, I wasn't looking for a job and so now I have 
Let's see. I had seven years of experience with community nursing, and now I have over six years with Grand County Hospice. So a combined 13-ish. It's a remarkable thing. Uh, Grand County Hospice provides attentive care with a coordinated interdisciplinary team that includes, of course, there's the medical director, the registered nurses, the certified nursing assistants, social workers like yourself, chaplains like myself, and trained volunteers. All of them uh, coordinated to meet the needs of the dying. I think what's really interesting about the team, well, first of all, it's a Medicare requirement. And for people who don't know if you are a Medicare recipient, then you have a hospice benefit. Uh, some private insurance companies do also, but Medicare tends to be the largest payee. All of those little pathways, professional tracks, have their own guidelines and their own way of completing their jobs and their assessments, but we all kind of fall into each other's turf at times, which is really lovely. Um, I may, as a social worker, notice that somebody has increased pain one day or increased edema, and so I'm going to let the medical people know that. And then the RN might say, you know, so-and-so looks a little depressed today. Can you have a talk with them? Or so-and-so's daughter is really not handling things well. And so with hospice and that integrated team, there's a lot of communication behind the scenes. And I think it's terrific. I do too. It's been really wonderful to see how many people gather on a regular basis just to answer the question, how is this person that we are caring for today? Uh, what interests me, though, is that few people seem to take advantage of it as they right. could. And so a lot of people, maybe because it's just the topic of death and they're just like not going to want to think about it ever, uh, I would like to get your feelings about why it is you think people don't maybe confront that, but hospice, okay, might be the right choice for you if uh, death is likely in six months or less. And can you run down the list? Like you're no longer seeking You're no, no longer seeking curative treatment. Um, hospice does offer comfort care, which sometimes is a form of treatment, but it's not... You're not seeking treatment for the actual disease that is going to cause your death. Palliative care. Palliative, yeah. So neither to prolong nor hasten. Although sometimes we do prolong <laughs> because we provide good care. And people bounce back just because right. they're getting some good attention. But uh, it's also if you and your family would like additional care and assistance and support a lot of times in an end-of-life arc, uh, it just becomes much more than you think. And right. at about that I, moment... I think in our culture, we're really afraid of talking about death. I think death and birth have become kind of sanitized, both a couple generations ago happened at home, 
Many of the Victorian homes had a front room, which was actually for viewing your loved one mm. or for viewing. And stairways were built apparently wide enough so that you could bring a body down the stairs. But now we, we've sanitized those things, which I think is really unfortunate because then we've become afraid of them because we don't we don't grow up with it. We don't see that maybe grandma was um, declining, but still our loved one and still present and still available, but just couldn't take care of herself anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we don't talk about death. We don't want to think about it. People think that hospice is only about death and hospice is actually about bringing comfort and care and spiritual support to people so that the quality of their life has hopefully improved in the last chapter of their life. We bring information about advanced directives, about how to fill out a post, which is a physician order of life-sustaining treatment. Uh, we, we provide a lot of education, but there are a lot of fears. People think, I've heard people tell me that we kill people with morphine. Oh, we, that's not our job. There's a lot of misunderstandings. <laughs> a lot of misunderstanding. We don't do that. Our gift is pain management, for sure. And there are deaths that are very painful, and that's a top priority for all hospice agencies to provide comfort. Which here in Moab, it's uh, right for me to say Grand County Hospice is one. There's a a Veterans Associated, isn't there, hospice? No. No? No. There is, what's the name of the? There's Community Nursing, Home Health, and Hospice. And up until recently, there was Rocky Mountain Home Health and Hospice. Currently, I don't believe they're providing hospice services here. Okay, but more than one. There's Grand County Hospice and, again, CS... CNS. CNS. Not to be confused with critical nurse staffing. They're two different agencies with the same initials. Oh, acronyms. We love them. Grand County Hospice offers a variety of services, then, and on-call nursing assistance available 24-7 is one of them. Um, receiving care and support in your home, but not always. Sometimes they're not in the... Not always. We uh, have had a number of people actually living with friends. Uh, we've had many people living in um, Canyonlands Care Center. It, <laughs> it is very important, though, that people have a care provider because the two agencies in town are not 24-hour services. They're more consulting and educational and um, when things get difficult they can check in on a a daily basis but it's not 24-hour care Mm -hmm. assistance available yes and the social workers offer psychosocial emotional support I've seen you really working hard to provide uh, a hospice hospice patients with community resources of all kinds when they're needed, including, uh, you know, these trained caring volunteers that 
run errands, give support, and offer, maybe most importantly, that listening ear, a hand to hold. Right. Right. Maybe you could tell me as, uh, oh, and then there's, of course, bereavement and grief support um, that, that really deserves to be mentioned for family and loved ones available for a whole fat year, uh, 13 months after. We provide phone Mm -hmm. calls and cards and information. And in the beginning, we have some educational videos that are really helpful about facing your fears or understanding what happens to a body or understanding and educating people if um, if their loved one decides to voluntarily stop eating and drinking and what what that's about. Well, it almost breaks your brain to think about a loved one electing to stop eating or something like this. Do you ever have, are, are there supportive services that Grand County Hospice offers in terms of volunteer trainings that happen periodically that can help people with, even if they're not, say, having a family member in hospice proper, they can still. Well, people can always call any hospice agency and get information about their services and Mm -hmm. their area. You know, where do they serve? Um, do they go to LaSalle? Do they not? Do they go to Thompson? Do they not? You know, all those geographic questions. But certainly people can always call us or CNS or any other hospice mm-hmm. agency to obtain more information. What makes, in your estimation, a good death? You've seen a lot of people go through this transition. You've seen some people struggle and some people not. What do, is there a observation there? That's a good question. Um, Some people are ready. They're just ready. They've said everything that they needed to say. Their loved ones are with them or not if they don't choose that. Some people, certainly in Utah, um, majority culture, religion, has very strong beliefs, which I think really helps people. Um, oftentimes, you know, as you know, people don't understand why a social worker or why a chaplain, why do we need to be involved? You know, we have, we have our church or we have our beliefs, but I think those beliefs are very helpful for people. Mm-hmm. It just, it creates a sense of comfort and ease. A life with meaning. A life with meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are all kinds of ways to kind of touch in with that meaning, even if you are many years away from said transition. It doesn't hurt to think about it well ahead of time, does it? Well, the funniest thing for me, sometimes I have people on the medical med surge unit at the hospital who maybe they're in their 80s and they're in good health, but they broke their femur or, you know, something happened. They're my captive audience, and I want to do advanced directives with them because my personal belief is if you have a car or a house or a child or a spouse or even a dog, that you should have your documents in order. 
people should know what you want to have happen with your body and your possessions and any wealth that you've accumulated. People are so afraid to talk about this stuff that they sometimes look at me like I, 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 I can't even put words to it. And then eventually, after a lot of education, they say, oh, thank you, that was a really good idea. <laughs> well, for people who haven't been through it before, uh, th- they may not know until they're a year into probate about why it would have been a really nice thing. Right. Could you could you talk then about what makes a very um, sort of unpleasant challenge if they could only have done so the living I'm, I'm thing? I'm clearly not an attorney, but it's my understanding is if you don't have a will or a trust or an estate and your estate has to go through probate, maybe, maybe you had a, um, you know, substantial accumulation of wealth or a really nice house and you didn't (laughs) put it in writing who you wanted it to go to and then it has to go through probate and maybe your child at that point doesn't have the income to pay the mortgage then and it takes six months or a year to go through the court I don't know what happens at that point I think it goes to the state yeah I do have one tragic but kind of funny story when I was first working for CNS I went to visit a man who had been a uranium miner and as many people might know the Cold War era miners are often compensated by the Department of Energy Um, and some of those sums are pretty large so I asked this gentleman if he had a will or a trust or an estate and he had a longtime girlfriend not married and he thought I wanted to steal his money and he never contacted an attorney and his estate went to a relative that he didn't like and it didn't go to his girlfriend and so I feel mm-hmm. like part of my role as a social worker, so a little bone that I pick with people, is to try to educate them and refer them to the appropriate source. You know, do you have a family attorney or have you heard of so-and-so or so-and-so does trusts and estates? And if you want what you've worked for your whole life to go where you want it to go, it needs to be in writing. And even in Utah, you can do what's called a holographic will. You just have to write, I want my dog and cat and my $100,000 to go to my son or Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever you want to have happen. But if it isn't in writing... Like your own handwriting. It can't be typed, I understand. You have to literally write it out to be a holographic will. Mm -hmm. I thought you could type it and sign it. I don't know that. I think not. Yeah, I think it must be written by you the to be holographic. The other thing that is really important to take note of is most people say, well, of course I want to die at home. I want to die at home in my bed and be surrounded by my loved ones. 70% of people do, I guess. Something like this. 70% of people say that, but only something like 17% of people actually have that happen. 
And part of the reason is because they don't have a DNR, DNI, or again, a pulse that says, I only want comfort care. So if you go to the ER and you're in crisis, then maybe you're gonna end up in an ICU. And certainly during a pandemic, your loved ones can't go see you. <laughs> so again, whatever your wishes are, just write it down. And then the living will situation, sort of the that's advanced I mean. the yeah. advanced directive. Um, that's one thing about probate and all of your uh, earthly uh, goods. Right. It's quite another to have to think in advance about what you might want to have done if somebody has to make those decisions right. for you. I myself have had great difficulty trying to put myself forward and think of myself in some incapacitated state. What would I want? You were very helpful on the phone when we were talking about this uh, in preparation for this conversation. Thank you. And if you just tuned in, you're listening to Terry Galen and Christy Williams, myself, talk about death and hospice and how to make that actually a pretty cool thing. It can be a super cool thing. And how to avoid maybe some of the avoidable um, difficulty. It can be quite difficult. The DNR, the do not resuscitate, and some of the things about how do you make the decisions about whether or not, yeah, what's quality of life to you? What's quality of life to you after an event? What's quality of life in your culture or your religion or your spiritual beliefs or even just your family culture? Because everybody's different. But I don't think people can make those decisions well without some education. You know, if you read a form and you, it says, do you want artificial nutrition? I, I don't know. Do you want IV fluids? Uh, I don't know. You need somebody to sit down with you and talk about those things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, some of the questions are like, well, would you have a quality of life if certain of your senses, if you were incapacitated in this way or this way, would you like to proceed? Would you like to proceed if you could not speak? Some people would. It's more like, well, if I have my marbles, I can write it down. Right. Uh, so in this way, it does. It takes a certain amount of heart and a certain amount of courage to even contemplate it, but what a difference it can make. What a difference. One thing that we haven't talked about that I think is super important, because people don't want to talk about death and because people don't want to talk about hospice and because people think that hospice is just for the last couple of days, my feeling is that if you sign up for hospice at that point, it can actually be kind of intrusive because each discipline has its intake process and its paperwork and its formalities. But if you sign up with a hospice agency six months in advance or even longer, because of course no one has a crystal ball, then you can develop real relationships with your provider. And then it becomes a beautiful journey together rather than all these strangers <laughs> intruding upon your home. Sweep, swooping in to try and get it all started just as you're going out the door, right. so to speak. Right. And so uh, it's already 525 or so, and we just started talking a little bit about some of the 
the planning that goes into medical care, palliative care there at the end of life. And there is such a great team. Currently at Grant County Hospice, we have Margie Swenson, who's the director and an RN, speaking with Terry Galen now, uh, the licensed clinical social worker, who's been here in Moab for more than 35 years, just kind of amazing. The wonderful Marcy Nettle, who runs monthly volunteer events for volunteers who would like to learn more about hospice. And Marcy also helps with um, bereavement. And bereavement counseling and does fine visitations along with the the volunteer staff to... Um, make sure that everybody's emotional needs are met. There's Nina Ross, an RN of great wonderfulness, and also Dr. Catherine Williams. Uh, we still do. We still have Barb. Barb Crossing. She's a little bit on call, mm-hmm. but she has formerly retired. I see, and also Christine Curtis, who might still be with the team for a little bit longer. Anyway, it's it's kind of a big team with a whole lot of care, and uh, I'm I'm still so taken about people who are able to focus on a on a life that is ending well and what that's shaped like. A lot of people will say, well, it's different for every person, what what makes it good that way. And I wonder about that, if it's ever so individual or if there's some kind of commonalities about what makes it good. I just, again, I think that's a really hard question. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's individual, but, you know, so many people wait to deal with their psychosocial issues and until their loved one is dead and even as a therapist before working in hospice I always tried to explain to people it's easier to deal with your issues when that person is alive (laughs) you know and you can work it through maybe hopefully able to speak (laughs) right give their story but if if the person that you have issues with has already passed, it's pretty hard to have that conversation. Mm. So, um, do you think that that the holidays are a, oh, I a think decent time really, to bring that up? I think they're really hard, even if you haven't lost anyone, because there's so much hype and expectation about what holidays should be like and what people thought they were like. <laughs> Let's heap end of life planning on top of that. Right. <laughs> But, you know, it really takes a good year to go through a cycle of birthdays and anniversaries and holidays and memories and events. And um, certainly holidays are big. And Do you mean in bereavement? In bereavement, thank mm-hmm. you, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so I'm just trying to... Uh, be with the listener right now who may be going, well, geez, I wonder if I should talk to my parents about what they would like or if they've ever considered it. Um, there is an excellent process. Oh, and you would ask me, make me think of this. I can't think of the name. Um, it's, I think it's called the Conversation Project or it's the um, Difficult Conversation 
So I went to a training at the hospital a couple years ago, went home, talked to my daughter and my husband and said, you know, I'd really like to have this conversation. I mean, I work in hospice and um, I think we should talk about this as a family. What do we want to have happen? What's our expectation as we age? And um, I'm not making fun of my husband, but he said, I want to be cremated. And I said, oh, okay, that's great. but." There are many, many, many steps before cremation, and um, I don't think people even know where to begin. Right. They just don't. One of the reasons why I thought it would be a real decent thing to talk about today, just (laughs) why not? Uh, It's the end of the year. People are often doing year review. Maybe there's a moment uh, of actual peace that you can grab for yourself, my dear listener, and uh, you know, find yourself in a corner. You know, friend of mine came to me t- today and said a relative of mine just passed, and it made me think, I need a durable power of attorney. I said, yes, and you need a medical power of attorney also. Describe the difference. So medical power of attorney is your asking someone to make a decision if you were unable to. So again, one of the problems is if you don't have it in writing and you're in a, say you're in a a horrible car accident and your family doesn't know that you have a DNR, DNI, you're gonna end up getting shipped somewhere and have all these interventions. But if your loved one has seen your paperwork and has signed a form and they have authority to make decisions for you, they could say, you know what? My my mom, my dad, my sister, they do not want heroic interventions. A durable power of attorney is more about your estate. So they're different and that has to be notarized. It's It's, you know, it's not in the medical field, but often people haven't even looked at either one and you need both and then the advanced directives and some of these forms are available just easy peasy at Moab Regional Hospital I I keep a folder of them you can look online they're pretty easy to get although not altogether easy to walk through all it takes is some contemplative time and uh, a bit of heart on your own behalf to right. consider this this uh, apparently universal experience of death, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. Appar- <laughs> apparently, the, the people who may have uh, slipped uh, the news, so to speak, um, they're not they're not they're not coming around and talking about it that that we really hear, right. you know. Right. <laughs> um, Let's talk about the care center a little bit, because I think that people are also, there are some misunderstandings about um, what the care center is about. And with hospice, too, like the fact that Medicaid pays for it, does it mean that you need to basically prove yourself as indigent? What does, talk about that and some of the misunderstandings. Well, this is also very complicated. Unfortunately, most people think that Medicare will pay for a long-term care facility. Medicare does not pay for a long-term care facility at all. The only 
um, the only facilities that I really work with at all are either in Emory County or Grand County. So I, I can't speak to other places in the country, but um, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid are federal, so I would think it's all the same. You, you have to qualify to be in a care center. You can't just say, you know, I'm really tired of mowing my lawn and um, I can't manage this house anymore, so I think I'll move to a care center. People often step down through like an apartment, assisted living, care center. To be in a care center, you have to qualify by not being able to take care of a number of your ADLs or activities of daily living. Like you, you can't cook for yourself anymore or mm -hmm. you can't transfer yourself from, or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't bathe, you can't manage your medications. Um, things like that. If you have long-term Medicaid, or yeah, long-term Medicaid, sorry, there's community-based Medicaid, which is different, and then there's long-term Medicaid. That will pay for Canyonlands Care Center or Emory Cares or many of the other facilities around the state. If you don't qualify for Medicaid, which essentially means that you have, um, I believe, $3,000 of assets or less, although you can have a house, but then that becomes a lien eventually, um, then it's cash pay, and cash pay is over $7,000 a month. So people are stunned when their loved one comes in the hospital, they realize they can't take care of them anymore. Maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a spouse, and they just think that Medicare will pay for the care center. And of course, whatever funds they have, they wanna keep for the grandkids. So that's a very difficult place for the discharge planner and for me to help people move through. So the main thing then, just to summarize, is that uh, Medicaid, Medicaid is the federal payee. Well, Medicaid and is actually a state. Oh, is it? Yeah, Medicare is federal. Medicaid is a. It's okay. complex. <laughs> so, but the main thing is that you can't just say I'm not feeling well. Uh, right. And I'm checking out. There are a number of steps. Right. In order for the care center. Yes. But for Grand County Hospice, different. A little different. No. No? Mm, Meaning that... I mean, if you're on hospice services, clearly things are... You're declining on... You know, you have a terminal illness, and you might not be in an active phase of death, but you're likely to pass within about six months. But you still have to qualify by having those needs. You can't just move in there and say. Sure. But then the financial requirements, right. there are some that people need to know about. Still Medicare. I mean Medicaid. And then hospice will pay for medications, um, sometimes DME, which is medical equipment. But you still have to pay your room and board. I see. So you must qualify physically. Right. You must qualify financially. Right. And 
it's better if you don't have a whole lot of assets, which is why people spend it down, don't right. they? Or the very, very few people who have long-term care insurance. I, I'm curious about that, you know. Uh, most people don't. Most people don't. Um, and we're talking about the boomer generation here, or I just raised the topic. But here we are, a whole bunch of boomers that are looking right into this period of time. Right. And no such thing as either long-term care insurance or, and I would guess most of the cases, the capacity for anything close to 7000 a month. Right. So what's that look like for the future, Terry Galen? <laughs> I don't have a crystal ball, but it's kind of terrifying, I think. Because, again, if you were a Victorian and all of your family lived in the same town, and maybe next door, and maybe grandma lived with you, and uh, unfortunately or fortunately, women stayed at home for the most part. They were people to care for your loved one. But now that we're all over the country and it takes two incomes and people aren't well insured, it's really a difficult situation. Well, we don't know and where to go And there were poor houses there. then, too. So there were poor let, houses Let's then not too. romanticize it. Uh, so... Across many fronts, then, there is uh, a call to greater care, right. uh, greater attention for the fact that this is coming at some point for us all. And there are, however, uh, networks of care here locally to help meet this moment if you qualify. If you qualify. You know, if you have a bunch of kids. I mean, I've worked with some families that have eight adult children, and that's really beautiful because they can take turns. You know, people can take FMLA for a couple weeks and come back home and take care of their loved one. If you're like me who has one child, too bad. (laughs) Okay, so uh, just to stress it a little bit, because I can almost hear the question there from the listener driving around going, so are you telling me I need to have 7,000 a month on hand to pay for Grand County Hospice? Is that what it comes down to? It doesn't pay for hospice. For the care center. For the care center. Yes. Thank you very much. Let's make that clear. Yeah, and then not for, for hospice. And for hospice. Hospice is paid for by Medicare. So you can. So if you're in your home and you have someone taking care of you, whether that's a community paid provider um, that you have found, I keep a list of people who provide home care or that's a relative or a neighbor or a friend who loves you, then the services that you get from hospice, whichever agency, those services are free. Lovely. I just want to, could you say that one word again? Free? Yeah. (laughs) I love this word. I love this word because, just because, it's one of the best words. Again, Christy, the hard thing is that what is kind of classic, your parents are in your fi- in their 80s, sorry, they're in their 80s, you're in your 50s, you're still working, maybe you have teenagers at home, or, you know, the equation is really tough, because then people feel trapped, well, I can't, I can't quit my job to pay for my parents, I can barely pay for my own life. Right. Right. So we're just airing the topic. <laughs> just airing the topic. 
and and hoping I mean, that there this are great services and great people in this community, but it's not easy to have this conversation with people. No, but starting where you can, and maybe at a time when you can visit with your folks, and especially uh, whether you're able to be with them in person or not because pandemic, hello, or not, being able to talk about something that matters so much, right. uh, bringing it up at any kind of level that you can. Right. I, I find in the quiet moment in the couch after you've had the taters and gravy or whatever and you're just sitting and you're maybe starting with one's own self I've been thinking about how I would like it well you know Chrissy in my journey through hospice I have changed my advanced directives because I've learned more Mm -hmm. and most of us who have watched any kind of program like Chicago Med that goes okay do 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 oh they're breathing now (laughs) Um, it's just not real. <laughs> <laughs> a little messier, a little bit more complex. Oh, speaking of messy, uh, it, the storing of the advanced directives winds up being kind oh, of yes, as yes, yes. crucial as the writing of the thing. I oh, mean, the will. Do not, please, do not store your important documents in a safe deposit box where nobody can access it. <laughs> Tell your loved ones where it is and how to find it. And um, I do want to do a little shout out here. Please, let's do. because to, And um, thanks for going broad with me, Terry. Yeah, it was fun. Um, the last time I was up here was to have a conversation with Bill Schroeder. Oh, is that so? And so I want to talk about how hospice can really celebrate people's lives and that it isn't a death certificate to get care. The only time I could actually meet with Bill when he was on hospice was here (laughs) because he was so active and so alive until he wasn't. And um, so you ask about what's a good death. You know, Bill certainly had his struggles, but I think he did everything the way he wanted to do it. Indeed. His whole life, I would say. Yeah. Uh, Yes, full stop. (laughs) Thank you, Ancestor Bill. And to any of the listeners who are uh, confronting the topic of loss in their lives because there's stuff going down, well then, uh, a heart of compassionate understanding and care from both of us from Terry and Christy and um, here at KZMU because there's a lot to it and there's a lot of support to help you walk through it. Mm-hmm. What are the things else that we need to, oh, and I wonder, I want to answer this phone, but I am afraid of putting that person on the air just in case. I tell you what we're going to do. We are going to play a little bit of music for you here at KZMU and be right back. So we're talking to a wonderful listener who who called with something to add to this conversation, and I appreciate it so much. I'm wondering if you could repeat yourself. Can you hear me? Oh, lost them. They were saying, look, 
write down and mark the keys. Mark yeah. those keys. What, what are they to? Where are the boxes that they belong to? Right. Uh, yeah, get right down to it. Imagine that somebody has to walk through your life without you to guide them through. Where is your stuff? What are your wishes? That's excellent. Whoever the caller was, thank you. Absolutely. Yes, thank you. A roadmap. <laughs> A roadmap. It wouldn't be bad. Yeah. That particular file drawer, whatever it is. So I have a file in my house that says, if I die first. Oh. It has all of my passwords. It has any kind of investment. It has it has everything. It has uh, the health insurance. It, ha it has everything so that if, for example, my husband and I were killed in a car crash, boom, both gone, boom, our daughter could look in that file and everything is there and it's accessible. And it takes a uh, terrible experience like that that we all hope never happens, knock on wood, and makes it then something that is just slightly less terrible because now right. whoever it is can look at the information. Right. When my mom died, which was oh, 35 years ago, my sister was the executor. And it was like she was going on a treasure hunt. And it was exhausting. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And it it didn't allow her to grieve in a certain way because she was so busy trying to wrap up this estate, which I hear from people all the time. I'm glad you brought up bereavement because grief will be very patient with you. And if you can't grieve then, it will come, won't it? Right. Sometimes, well, you tell me. Uh is there any such thing as closure where grief is concerned? If you've, if you've have really different opinions about that, um, you know, some people think it's a certain time frame. Some people think it's forever that we are working with our heart and our loss. I, I don't, I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer with that. I mean, I, I can say, you know, my mom's been gone 35 years. I, I don't grieve my mom. I, I wish she had seen other phases of my life, met my daughter, et cetera, but I feel like that's really closed. For other people, I don't think that's true. I think they experience that loss forever. Mm -hmm. And it changes form. Or they get it changes quality. The quality changes. Yeah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. But I think for some people, they can move on from a particular loss. Hmm. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I'm not sure. I think that if you've ever loved truly, if the love was ever real and true, then grief is the price. I agree with that. So... And and also, you know, maybe you're not sitting in sorrow, but then you go somewhere, or you smell something, or you hear something, or you hear a piece of music, or you read a reference in a book, and boom, there you are again. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm glad that you brought this up about the kind of olfactory thing that takes you straight 
to the memory and then also the feelings that are waiting for you right there. And I, I would like to sort of, oh, uh, come back at around the dinner table at this period of time now that we've talked so much about love and loss and the uh, wonderful resources that are available here to us in this part of the country through Grant County Hospice and through, again, the community, what is a C and Community Nursing Home Health and Hospice. Community Nursing Home Health and Hospice. This is why acronyms get born, America. This is why this happens, because people can't remember the whole thing. <laughs> okay. So, uh, full apologies. Thank you very much, Terry. My point is, I'm wanting to get from you what food, when you think of your mom, or you think of your family that way, you can think of a dish that was made uh, that you associate with the most loving, the smell. Like at this time of year, what does it for you? Uh, potato latkes. <laughs> Lots of onion, not so much. No, uh, yeah, a little bit of onion. A little bit of onion. Oh, yeah. With sour cream? Um, homemade applesauce. Homemade applesauce. Yeah. Big or little? Uh, big and lacy. Big and lacy. Although Tom made homemade, homegrown blue potato latkes this year, which were just mm. dynamic. And they were smaller and a little more dense. Um, they look like hamburgers, <laughs> but they were really good. <laughs> well done, Tom, and thanks to all of the gardeners while we're at it. And this might be somebody willing to share such a uh, you know, food memory. If so, I'd be delighted. Hi there. Uh, you're on this week in Moab and on the air. How you doing? I'm Christy. It was always fun to go visit the grandparents and see their teeth in a jar soaking in water while they ate celery soup and some saltines. Oh, so fantastic. And who were their it names? Was dramatic at six, seven years old. Wow. Wow. So do you do you have an enjoyment for celery soup today? Do you? Oh, I think he just was dropping that pearl in. Thanks so much, caller, for calling in with that. <laughs> uh, so great. Uh, because Terry didn't have the headphones on, she was unable to hear the caller talk about how, how much joy... He, he took in simply visiting the grandparents when he was a young child and seeing this kind of um, very visceral image of the teeth in the ah. jar or, you know, in the cup and then seeing them um, have the celery soup and being able to talk with them. Yeah. I love that. It's great. Thank you, caller. Yeah. Yeah, so if there's an elder that you want to pay a visit to, that's the other thing we can say about the holidays and even people in the care center, can't we? Can you talk about that a little bit, about the potency of a visit? Um, visiting is really important. Even if your loved one has dementia, they likely will love to see you, even if they don't recognize you. Um, it's important to remember that the... One of the last senses that we have is hearing. And so even if someone is in a non-responsive state, it's likely that they can still hear you. 
So touch them and tell them that they love you. I mean, you love them, sorry. I, um, what I've learned from nurses, I have to say, is so beautiful. Those nurses just love the people who are on hospice and love their bodies. They just touch them and they do wound care and they whisper in their ear and they are so dear. And so kind. Kind. So deeply kind. I'm so glad you brought that up. Also, we're coming up to uh, Amy Goodman time, and it's, uh, you know, the week and the time of year that it is. And so I think it's a good moment to do some shout-outs. And so I want to kick it off and give a shout-out to frontline healthcare workers who have been at it through the most epic burnout pair of years that we've had in possibly, probably my lifetime, you know. Um, I don't know where they're summoning it from, but uh, if you know somebody that works for the hospital or somebody who works in healthcare, give them a little love this year. Give them a little appreciation because... Um, it's been epic. <laughs> yeah. You can probably talk to this as somebody who's on staff and really present at the hospital. They've been heroic, have they not? They have. Those nurses are incredible. And the physicians, they're, they're there every day. They don't say, oh, gee, I don't want to work in a pandemic. I'm, I'm going to quit. I don't know anyone who's done that here. Um, they just show up. How about the burnout, though? How are they? Um, sometimes it gets stressful, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, you know, when when certain departments are understaffed for whatever reason, I mean, people do move on, they go back to school or their families relocate. I think there are certain departments that are understaffed and it's hard. And you never know at the hospital. You can leave one night and there are two people in the hospital and you show up the next day and there are 12. <laughs> you just never know. And so I think that's hard for people to adjust to. Well, it's absolutely true that the uh, caring team here at uh, Moab Regional Hospital and its various ancillary organizations like uh, the community, uh, nursing, you hospice. Know, Chrissy, one thought back to you asked me an hour ago about the VA. There are VA services, but they're not here. I mean, we there's the clinic, of course, but um, there are some services in Grand Junction. We just we they don't have a facility here in Moab. Thank you for clinic. clarifying. Thank you for clarifying, and also being able to just sort of pick up and play ball like this on short notice, talking about such a fraught for many people fraught topic so hopefully we've um oh encouraged somebody out there to have that conversation full of tenderness with their loved ones about what they would like and if any of you need any information about how to structure that conversation you can call me at the hospital and I'm the one number of two social workers yes and the number is uh Seven one nine thirty five hundred. Well, that's pretty good. I like that. Seven one nine thirty five hundred for the hospital. Okay. I can remember the old number, so I'm just gonna not say it. Okay. 
because it just goes in there deep that way, you know, for sure. Okay. Well, Terry Galen, thank you. Thank you so much. You wouldn't happen to know what the topic is of the first hospice volunteer thing of the year is going to be, would you? I don't. I don't either. But I'll, I'll tell you, it's the first Tuesday of each month. And so... Coming up here before too terribly long, there's well, going to be an event. Well, and if anyone out there is interested in becoming a volunteer, they should call Grand County Hospice or, again, Community Nursing. They have volunteers also. And talk to Margie at Grand County or Marcy and um, see what you have to do to sign up. Yes, and let's... And, and um, quickly, it's a very important role, job, to have volunteers um, or aspect of your, of your program. It's actually mandated. And we have such great volunteers that our numbers are actually far higher. They exceed what we are required to have. So that's really exciting. Partly because Grand County is so cool. And yeah. the people that, I mean, it's true. You know, you can play guitar for someone. You can read to someone. You can just sit there while their caregiver runs to City Market or goes to a therapy appointment or gets their hair done. Or There are all kinds of ways to help. The whole point, again, the team works uh, diligently to allow patients to preserve a thing that we don't, hear a lot about these days, but it's a thing called dignity. And maintain self-determination and agency uh, throughout all that end phase of life. And so if you or a loved one are considering hospice care, really don't hesitate. Call, speak to a member of the team. Uh, Again, Grand County Hospice is not the only hospice here but they can tell you and they can guide you. 435-719-3772 is the number. And Terry Galen, just uh, happy, healthiest of New Year's to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, you and so to you much. too. It's so much fun. I know this is a hard topic, but it's really fun to be here with you. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It's become less of a hard topic the more we bring it up. So take take that as uh, the last note of the moment. And we're going to go now to the word of the day. I I said the one that's going to be for me today, dignity. But let's see what the kids of the Grand County School System have to say for the word of the day. It's coming up shortly here at KZMU. Thank you again for supporting this thing called community free speech, building a culture that um, helps the community go through. So uh, yeah, keeping it moving. I'm going to do so right now. Terry and I heading out and uh, Amy Goodman up next. Happiest holy days of peace to you, Moab. Love you so much.